Yeah. Last week we continued with uh, the Haggadah is based upon questions to teach the young person to be a God-seeker to question. And this is very important to the Rav's uh, philosophy and the entire gestalt of the Rav. Uh, then we spoke about the fact that Sipu Yisitz Mitzrayim, Leil HaSeda, is Misaviv Suda. And here, too, there's a tremendous uh, lesson involved that the physical and the spiritual have to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The story with Jacob Schiff is an interesting story, although I question whether it was really Jacob Schiff. And as I mentioned, uh, I put a, you know, the Rav said it, so the Rav said it. It doesn't mean that all his stories were absolutely historically correct. Uh, where I know that he made a mistake, uh, for instance, in a date, I, would, I, I corrected him. But here, it's impossible to correct him because once I correct him, I have to take the name Jacob Schiff out. I take the name Jacob Schiff out, the whole story falls away. And I have no idea who he meant. I mean, I can guess. Uh, it can be Warburg. There were very famous American Jewish leaders of German origins who were very wealthy, and they were reformed. They could react the way the Rev described. Jacob Schiff... It's, it's for me surprising because in his own life he was a split personality, he was Shoma Kashrat, 100%. So uh, I'm inclined to feel that the story is true, but the name Schiff is probably incorrect. Nevertheless, I put in a footnote to protect myself uh, from the point of view of scholarship, I put in a footnote to see uh, there was a volume that came out um, about by Davis, Moshe Davis. Moshe Davis later taught at the Hebrew University. He was headed, He founded an institute at the Hebrew U, Contemporary Jury. He died a few years ago. And he has a tremendous archive here, a whole institute that he founded, he funded, because he was a very prominent American conservative uh, rabbinic leader and was very prominent in the seminary. And Moshe Davis published what is probably the best one-volume work on understanding conservative Judaism. It's called The Emergence of Conservative Judaism. And uh, he has a long footnote describing Jacob Schiff and the idiosyncrasies and the contradictions in his life. So with that footnote, uh, a scholar will see that uh, I have hesitation because Jacob Schiff is described differently. But nevertheless, the basic story is probably 100% true. Then we spoke in terms that unlike uh, Mikra Bikurim, when we talk about the Haggadah, it has to bring to Shira that the thanksgiving is not enough to be implicit, but it has to bring the shira. And this becomes the theme of Pesach, that the person is so overwhelmed with the Hakarat HaTov that uh, he breaks forth, this is why Shiashirim is so important, Leil HaSeda, and this is why Shiashirim Shabbat Cholamoyit Pesach is so important, the whole gestalt of the Jew coming out of Egypt uh, and coming into Midbar Sinai, getting the Torah al Sinai, the thanksgiving has to be overwhelming. And here, it's not implicit thanksgiving, but it has to break into absolute shira. And then uh, we went in to Abadimayun Yun Lafaro, Valot of Atenu Bluvadgal, Hakadish Baruchu, Ella Afotanu Goali Mahem, and. Right before Halil, we reach Bechol Davadar Om Demalenu and this little chapter, this whole feeling is literally reliving, reliving, feeling, being caught up 
with Yitzhiat Mitzrayim. That it's not something distant, not something ancient, but it's something that happens behold of Adar. And here we left off last week that the Rav said that this concept, behold of Adam, is the concept of a Malik. And Einachinami, the Rav heard from his father, the name of Rav Chaim, and this in called the Dido Fake, there's a long footnote on it, as I explained last week. And Rav Chaim developed the idea that Amalek is not something that happened once. Any nation, any people, any enemies of the Jewish people that make up their mind, laharog, lashmid, labeid, to wipe out all the Jews, they fall into the category of Amalek. And as I said last week, uh, with the translation of the Kaldadid of Fake, uh, it was very interesting that that they said to translate would be Sakonet Nefashat. And that we taka left out. It doesn't affect the thrust of the Kaldadid of Fake, what bothered me. And by the way, was, for your information, it was Joseph Mendelovich who went through the first translation and caught what the Shlomo Nachat did. It's also revealing, you know, it shows you what our problems are theologically. Here are people who are only Jews because of Zionism. In other words, if not for the state of Israel, they would be totally, completely, absolutely assimilated. And here they save themselves by becoming Zionist, by becoming Refusnikim, they become religious, and then they come in Aliyah and they move more and more to the right. And then they reach the point where they deny Zionism any credence. And uh, it was Joseph Mandelovich who read the first translation. He got very upset. And uh, the rest was history. All the copies were removed and it was reworked again honestly and published honestly. And we know it was honest. I mean, I don't read Russian. I had people who read it, but Moshe Mendelovitch read it the second time over also, and he, this time he was satisfied. But it's an interesting story, and this is part of our problem that uh, uh, it's fashionable today to, design, to deny Zionism. By the way, they have an entire theological stance to explain it. In other words, I've challenged these people. How can you deny Zionism? And their answer is very simple that each moment in life they grew, and they view it, and this is part of the teachings of Ras from the right-wing Bali Chiva Yeshiva, it's very fascinating, that each moment in life you grow, you went to communism to democracy. You went from democracy to Jewish awareness. You went from Jewish awareness to Zionism. You went from Zionism to religious Zionism. From religious Zionism, you went to, let's say, Agudit Yisrael, or Degel Hatera. Now you have the truth. In other words, each time you've gone up the ladder a little bit more. And that's the way they view it, and they're convinced that that's correct. In other words, this is the way they think, this is the way they've been taught. I, I don't want to use the word brainwash, but this is the way they, they, their mind process works. And it's like going up the ladder. Each time they improved, and now with Degel Hatera, they have achieved the ultimate. And, and here the Rav, now, now I want to pick up where I left off. And here the Rub said something, uh, I have to use the word, mamish gainis. And, and, uh, and this was the Rub. So many times he shook out of his sleeve, you know, something that no one would ask, no one would question, everyone would take for granted. And the Rub set up shot that was overwhelming. And here it's a, it's a classic example. The Rub focused in, what is Minik Yisrael? When we say in the Haggadah, we lift the coast. We lift, isn't that many Israel? To lift the coast. And we're holding the coast in our hands. 
And the Rav asked a simple question. Why do we lift the kos? Whenever we hold the kos on our hands, there's a tziruf, it's a kosher bracha. You're making a bracha. It's a tziruf. Do I have to say welcome back? I haven't seen you. Uh, wow. It's, it's, it's a tziruf. It's a kosher bracha. That's why I'm picking up just where I left off last week at this second. It's a kosher bracha. Wherever we hold the kos on our hands, there's a reason why. Chazal umetakin kiddush on a kosher bracha. Chazal umetakin havdolah on a kosher bracha. Chazal umetakin birchat hamazan on a kosher bracha. Chazal umetakin birchat kedushin and birchat nesu on our kosher bracha. So whenever you hold the kos in your hands, there's a tziruf between what you're doing to the kos. What does this have to do with the kos? Why do you hold the kos in your hands? There's no bracha here. There's no birchat ha-mitzvah. There's no birchat ha-nenin. There's no birchat kedushat ha-yom. You understand? When, when you have a, 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 a brit milah, whatever there is, so chazal will metakin the bracha with the kos. Here, why? Why are you lifting up the kos? What's going on here? And the Rav said so beautifully, that in the language of the Tanakh, the kos is the symbolism for destiny. What does it mean? And he gave examples. It's hashkacha pratit. It's destiny. Tehillim kuftezayin yud gimel. Kos Yeshuas Kos Yeshuot esa uveshem Hashem akra. Yeshaya chafalev pasuk yud zayin. Hitodari hitodari kum Yerushalayim Pasuk Lamed Gimel, Shikaron v'yagon timali, Kos shama ushmama, Kos atochachoteich shumran. And you see in Nach, time and again, Kos represents destiny. Sometimes it's a positive destiny, sometimes it's a negative destiny. Kos Yeshuot, Esa, is positive. Kos chamato, or Kos chamoteich, all these other examples were negative. But what does the kos imply? This is destiny. You know why a Jew lifts the kos? When he says, It's to tell a Jew, this is your destiny. There's no way you can escape it. The motif of Jewish history to remember, re-experience, and live the drama of the Jewish people. It is something that is ongoing and a Jew cannot escape it. And that's a Gainish of art. Let me tell you, that is absolute brilliance. And the message here is overwhelming. And this is basic to being a Jew. And uh, this is the difference uh, between a Jew who cares and a Jew who walks away. Lower Lainu. Uh, uh, so many cases. I just was dealing. With with a with, with a young young man with with a man, gra- went to yeshiva high school in Israel. Did the army in Israel. Graduated Barilan University. 
lives in America today, very successful professional, beautiful apartment on the west side of New York, beautiful apartment in Florida, never married, this shiksa, that shiksa. His brother just got married, so he came for the wedding. So Nebuchadnezzar's poor mother, who's from Williamsburg originally, a Holocaust survivor, has to put up. He brought his mother, his latest shiksa, he brought with him to the wedding. So his mother told me that uh, the wedding was a big crowd, so she couldn't do anything, let him come. But she told him, I don't want you to come to any Sheva Brachas, because imagine he's going to come to Sheva Brachas with the shiksa he's traveling with. And, And these are people, they walk totally away from the destiny of Am Yisrael. Religion to them, if they have any religion, becomes a Western matter, a private matter. It has no longer a concept of Am Yisrael. This is the young man I'm talking about. This is Kissinger. They're endless examples. And this is the touchstone of Jewish education, that we're not just educating for religion on a personal basis, but there's a destiny involved. You're part of Am Yisrael, and you can't escape it. And this also always troubles me. Whenever you hear our political leaders speak in terms of uh, peace, the nations won't hate us, relations with America, where now things are very bad at the UN. And I remember Robin, uh, when the peace treaty was signed uh, with Jordan, so Robin in his limited knowledge of, of text, but someone wrote it for him, Old Law Am We're no longer a people who have to dwell alone. The minute you talk like that, you've lost all connection and understanding of the Jewish destiny. Of course, Rabbi never had that understanding. He's a Tinok Shinishpa. I can't uh, fault a person uh, who never knew anything. But the person I just described to you in New York City, or Henry Kissinger, they're mamish, way beyond Tinok Shinishpa. You know, it's, uh, you can be done on the Kafschut, but they're certainly not a Tinok Shinishpa. person grew up in a yeshiva, Tichonit, did Hezda, goes on to Barilan University. Uh, uh, Henry Kissinger was active in Ezra, in Polia Gudet Yisrael. When he came to Israel the first time, they dug out of the Ezra archives. And Nessay, he wrote in Hebrew when he was 12 years old on Mitzvah Yishev Eretz Yisrael that won a prize, and they showed it to him. But of course, by this time, Kissinger uh, with Nancy, he's a different person. They're human beings. This is, if you know Hilchot Shiva, where the Rambam talks about the Baal Shiva and changing his name, and the whole concept that you're a totally different person. It works the other way, too. A person in one lifetime can be many people. Sometimes Litov, and Chalila, sometimes the opposite. And and this is a meritic vote. Why do we lift the cause? I mean, the Rebbe is right. Why do we lift the cause? What does it have to do here? It's not that uh, there's not like Halal. Halal, I can understand. We hold the cause for Halal, right? So we can say, Leil HaSeda, they were matakin Halal on the Koshini. We can all understand that. Birchat HaMazan, you hold the cause. It all makes sense. But Pitom, Ma Pitom, Viki Shem, And this was the Rebbe's vote. Okay. Now, now uh, we come uh, to the high point of uh, today's year. And it, it, let me begin slowly and let me begin thoroughly. Let me come to the Pasha of Vidui uh, Bikurim again. Look at the Pasha. Right, we dash in it. We dash in it in the Haggadah. 
And that's exactly where the Dashanud ends. Right after that we say Dayenu, and we go in already, Rabbi Gamliel Haya Omer, and we go into Halel. Hey, wait a minute. If you continue, Pashat Bikurim, Vidu Bikurim, and that is Pashat Pikorum. And then the Torah continues. There's another Pasuk and a half that we don't touch. Right or wrong? Think what I'm telling you. Now watch. The Mishnah Psachim, Perik Yud, Mishnah Dalet, Matchil Begnut Ubmisayim Bishvach, Vidoresh Maromi Oveda Vi Ad Sheyigma, Kol Hapasha Kula. Wait a minute. The Mishnah says openly that how do we work out the Haggadah with Matchil Begnut? What is it talking about? Gnut? about Arami Ovei how we began, all our difficulties, and we dashed it immediately, Tzuru'u, Tzuyulamad, Mabikesh Tomer Arami Lassot Liyakav Avinu, Shparalu Gazal HaZcharim, Lambikesh Lakot HaKol, Shenema, Arami Ovei Davi, Vayert Mitzrayim, Vayagosham, Bentaymiyat, Vishom, Legoi, Gadol, Atzum, Verav, and we dashed everything, every Pasuk, except the last Pasuk, we don't fashion that last pusik and a half. And the question is, what's happening here? What's, what are we, what are we doing? The Mishnah says, you only dash, you dash in it entirely. Call hapasha kula. And what do we find? Lel hasaida, we don't dash in the last pusik and a half. And the truth of the matter is, if you look into the Sufri, you find Psukim. You'll find Dashanut in the last Pasuk and a half. You'll find rabbinic material. And there's no reason why can't we Dashanut? Obviously, the Ole Regal, when they came to Yerushalayim and they said the Haggadah, and remember the Mishnah already reflects what went on before at the time of the Bayat Shani, they certainly Dashanut it. They certainly spoke about Eretz Chalavu Devash. And why don't we it. And this was the Rav's question. And the Rav gave two answers. But the main answer is the first answer. And I want to elaborate on the first answer. And you see, the Rav said, in relation to Yisit Mitzrayim, Leil Haseda, we have uh, a tremendous question. How many kosat do we drink? Okay? For Lishonot of Geula. And yet we know there are people that drink five kosat. Why do they drink five kosat? Because there's one more word, Vehevetti. So look at these words. Let's look at the first four. Vahotseiti, Vihitsalti, Vigaalti, Vilakhti. What is it referring to? What is it referring to? It's referring to Yetziat Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt. 
What is Vechadveti referring to? Coming into Eretz Yisrael. Now, what's involved? What's the difference? Four cups, five cups. There's a basic question here. What are we celebrating, Leil HaSeder? What are we celebrating? Are we celebrating leaving Egypt and coming into Eretz Yisrael? Or are we only celebrating leaving Egypt? Where is the focus, Leil HaSeder? If you say it's the total picture, then you have to drink five cups of wine. Leil HaSeder. It's not only for Lishon and Gula. It's not only Vatsaiti, Vihitsalti, Vagaalti, Vilakahti. But ultimately, all this is for the Vahedvaiti. And that's one way to look at it. And if you look at it that way, you have to drink five cups of wine. Do any of you drink five cups of wine? If you follow the, for instance, the Rav Menachem Kasher Haggadah. Rav Menachem Kasher instituted five cups of wine. I believe Rav Shlomo Gorin instituted five cups of wine. And there's sources for it. On the other hand, there's a different way to view Leil HaSeda. Leil HaSeda, the focus of the night is Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The fact that ultimately you go to Eretz Israel has nothing to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. That has to do with Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov Avinu. That has to do with the original promise. But Leil HaSeder is a celebration of what happened. And what happened at that moment, the fulfillment of Moshe Rabbeinu, the fulfillment of God's word to him, it's only the Valtsaiti What happens later is of course the ultimate destination, the ultimate destiny of the Jew. But that has little to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. That goes back to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. And Leil Haseda, the celebration has to be Moshe Rabbeinu Yitzit Mitzrayim, Arbal Shonot Goula. And not five. The Heveti is not the thrust of Leil Haseda. Leil Haseda? See it, Mitzrayim. Matan Torah. Mamlechet Kohanim. Vagoy Kadosh. What was God's promise to Moshe Rabbeinu? Shmot Gimel Pasuk Yudbed. Bahotziacha Ta'ami Mitzrayim. Ta'avdu et Elohim. Alahar Hazer. What is the promise? Matan Torah. Oh, if this is the case, if this is Leil Haseda, then we have to celebrate Yitzit Mitzrayim in Matan Torah. The last Pusik and a half, we don't dashen. Because that last Pusik and a half is not so relevant to the Leil Haseda. It's not the heart of Leil Haseda. The heart of Leil Haseda are the initial psukim. How God kept His promise. How God took us out of Egypt. How God will give us the Torah. But the coming to Eretz Yisrael is the destiny. It's not part of the main miracle of Leil Haseda. Vahaveti. I'll get there, just relax. I'll open it up later. Leil Haseda, the Vahaveti, that goes back to Avram Avinu. Yitzhak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, and Leil HaSeda, that is not the thrust. Leil HaSeda is Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You begin the Sphira. You want to reach Matan Torah. This is Leil HaSeda. 
And this is why we only drink four cups of wine. This is why we only stress the four Lashonot of Gula. This is why we do not stress the Haveti. And this is why we don't dash in the last Pasuk and a half, Lil Haseda, because it doesn't fit in to the heart of the message. When do we celebrate the Vehaveti? When do we celebrate Eretz Yisrael? Eretz Yisrael, we celebrate as a different Chag, Chag HaSukkot. Chag HaSukkot is the celebration of Eretz Yisrael. That's the celebration of the lulav, the etrog, the harvest, the sukkah, the shkacha pratit, that God brought us to Eretz Yisrael and fulfilled the promise to the avot. Now, do you know who says this? The Rav here is based upon the Rambam in Moranavuchim. Look up the Rambam, Moranavuchim, Chelik Gimel, Perik Mem Gimel. And that's the rub's vote. This is the first answer, the first thrust, why we don't dash in the Pasuk and a half. Okay. Avi, what did you want to say? Well, not in the Haggadah. In the Haggadah we have no dash in it, but what you're saying is that uh, those people who drink five cups could add to the Haggadah and dash in the last Pasuk and a half. I, I don't... As far as I recall, Menachem Kasha does not do that, but theoretically, you're absolutely right. You could do it. Theoretically, you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with adding to that God. But it would mean changing the thrust of Leil Haseda to bring in Eretz Yisrael and Avtachel to the Avad, and this the Rambam felt, that's Chag Sukkot, that Pesach and Shvuot is Yitzit Mitzrayim Matan Torah, Chag HaSukot is the Chag of Eretz Yisrael. Yes, Matthew. Well, we have no record. Could very well be. The Rav takes for granted they did Dashan. If you read the Sifri, you'll see the Dashan up there. But we don't have a Haggadah that survives from that time. Oh, why would they have said it? Uh, so you're trying to say that there too, perhaps they shouldn't have said it because they weren't... Yeah, fine. You're, I accept your reasoning. You'll see in a moment the other question, the other answer. So you'll understand already how I can accept it and the difference. But, but now, now I want to tell you an unbelievable story. And uh, who's close to Rabbi David Miller? Nathaniel, you'll tell Rabbi David what I'm saying now because he wanted nice. I say I don't reveal in advance and now the moment has come. Um, BMT, the early 70s, mid-70s, uh, two kids come in from Ramaz. It's a fascinating story. Ramaz graduates. One of them comes to class with a tie and a jacket. The other kid, normal kid, no tie, no jacket. Well, that's all I had to see. I say to this uh, kid, what's your name? Tells me his name is Yosef Klausner. And therein begins a relationship which lasts until today with much heartache to it. And uh, I see Yossi's Ramaz graduate. And then I find out about his life. I find out that He's an only child born to parents who married in their 40s. He never played ball as a kid. He grew up with like his own grandparents. And here's a kid that was totally at home with uh, Rabbi Luxstein, Rabbi Rakefet, Rabbi Horowitz and BMT, Rabbi people who were older. He never had any rapport with kids his age. He's a kid who never played ball, was never young. He was raised speaking Hebrew. His Hebrew was 
beautiful, perfect, magnificent, wonderful mind. Later he goes on to Yeshiva College. He comes in, some of you will appreciate this, he comes into Rabbi Parnas' class. How many of you were students of Rabbi Yehuda Parnas? You'll appreciate this. So at Rabbi Parnas is taking attendance and he gets to this kid's name, Yosef Chaim Klausner, and he says, I hope you're not related to Professor Klausner, that Apikoros. And, uh, and Klausner says, that was my great uncle. You follow me? That was his father's uncle. It was Klausner's uncle, the famous Professor Klausner. And Klausner tried to defend him because, you know, Professor Klausner was not Machal Shabbos. That he wrote things that are, that we can't accept. That's a different story. But in his practice, he was a Shomer Shabbos. So, uh, so that was his start of YU. So Klausner, over the years, um, remains very, and anyway, let me come back. So this, I tell him, Klausner, if you want to come to class next week, no jacket. Kid comes to class next week, no jacket. The next week I tell him, you want to come to class next week, no tie. Comes to class, no tie. Then I see this kid really knows. So there was a Madrich and BMT duck schlissel, Avram schlissel. He lives in the Gush today. Naming anything to you. I mean, he's a, so duck used to sit in my classes. So I told duck, Klausner, do you trust the duck to keep score? Yes. Cla- uh, Duck, I want you to keep score. Who knows more, the Rebbe or me? The Rebbe or Klausner? Every class, we would pause for five minutes. I can ask him one question, he can ask me one question. At the end of the year, I defeated him 38 to, to like 12. It was the first time in his life he met a teacher that knew more than him. You know, this kid was going crazy. The end of the year comes, and I have to give a paper, you know, that Sadikam has to do something for me. I say, Klausner, you are exempt from the paper I'm giving the class. And his face lights up. However, you will do a 500 report for me on Tyrus Cobb. Who was Ty Cobb? Great baseball player before Babe Ruth. And this kid is going bananas. I say, Klausner, if you want a 98, I get the report. If I don't get the report, you got a 58. P.S. The guy went to the National Library, comes back, finds his words on Ty Cobb, and that said, you know, Ty Cobb's father killed his, his mother killed his father. There's a whole, a whole, a whole interesting story there. Anyway, Klausner, Klausner goes on to study with the Rav, and uh, and I'll come to the part I want to try to get with the child. Only say, it's very sad because Klausner today is in his 40s and he never married, and it's sad. It's literally sad. It says so capable, so much knowledge. And his parents died in their 60s. It's the only time I ever canceled class to go to a funeral where it wasn't a, a relative. You understand what I'm saying? I felt so bad. His father came in Aliyah. The day after he came in Aliyah, his father died. His mother remarried, and then she died of cancer three months after she remarried. Ugh, nightmares, nightmares. And Klausner was left, and left alone. And, and left with an apartment, and, and Nebuch, it's now in his mid-40s already, and uh, it's just so sad. Anyway, so Klausner goes back, he studies with the Rev, then he comes back here, he studies here for two years with me. He fought the big battle. Today, if you're coming in Aliyah, you don't have to go back to America to get Smicha. You can do your third and fourth year of Smicha program here, and they give you Smicha. Klausner fought that battle, that anyone staying in Israel doesn't have to go back. So Klausner's sitting in the Rav Shein. You have to know Klausner's a big Zionist. And he is very offended by the Rav's words that, that you know, that Sukkot is a Chagarit Yisrael, but Pesach Yisrael is not that important. It's Matan Torah. And he took it like an offense to Zionism. 
the fact that the Moronavuchim said it, but you know, the Klausner, the Moronavuchim is not the Mishnah Torah, so he writes, and you gotta know Klausner, he ends Bekiyat and things that, no, that you never dreamt about. And he writes Hebrew beautifully. He could sit in an hour, come up with a 50-page memorandum in perfect Hebrew that Bruria would be choking reading the magnificence of this kid's Hebrew. So he writes a 25-page essay citing about, I saw it, he showed it to me, citing about 37 Dashanim, Achronim, all about the importance of Eretz Yisrael and Klausner in Pesach. And Klausner being Klausner shows it around the class. You know, everyone already knows what's happening. The Rav comes in after he's given this public drasha. And Klausner says, Rabbi, I'd like you to look at this Kuntris. And he presents the Rav with a 25-page, single-line, handwritten Kuntris. Klausner b'meitavo. He gives it to the Rav. The Rav, of course, by this time is a Zayri. In my days, you would look, what is this? What are you giving me here? What? I have no time for this. The Rav would throw it back at you. Those days, already, the Rav is a Zayri. He says, Klausner, I uh, look at it in Boston. Oh, it looks, uh, you know, he takes it up to Boston. He's going to come back next week. And Klausner all week is walking along, showing copies to Rabbi Chalab, showing copies to this one, to that one. Uh, whoever he can show a copy to, everyone in the class, anyone who knows how to learn in the class. Remember, there were about 120 guys in the Rav Shir. Out of that 120, 40 knew how to learn, and 80 guys were a waste of effort. So he's showing it around. The Rav comes in a week later, and that, the whole class in Klausner. Klausner says, sit right next to the Rav. You hear on the tape where the Rav says to Klausner, Klausner, clean my glasses. Klausner, give me an amban. You know, the rabbi was, you see in a yard here in front of thousands of people, Klausner, give me a rambam. So uh, the rabbi walks in, everyone's waiting, tension in the class. The rabbi looks him in the eye and says, Klausner, your bikinis is greater than mine, but you're absolutely wrong. And he goes on with the Shia. And you don't know what the Rav accomplished. Because here, Klausner, he went around for 10 years afterwards. The Rav said, my Bekiyas is greater than his. Of course, in Jewish Svarim, in Narish Kaik Svarim, Klausner had unbelievable Bekiyas. But the Rav still held by the Moran of Uchim, not by Klausner. And that was a beautiful incident in Klausner's life, which you see the Rav, the Mohanich par excellence, he knew exactly how to handle him. He was, the Rav didn't uh, change his viewpoint, but Klausner, your Bekid is greater than mine. And let me tell you, I wasn't sitting in the room, but I, I heard the story from so many different angles, from Klausner, from the others that were there, I feel like I was there. So that's reason number one. Then the Rav gave a second reason. And this answers your question. And I have to tell you, I wish the second reason were true today. The Rav says, and maybe we have another reason why we don't dash in the last Pasuk and a half. After all, the Mishnish says, and the Rav says, there's no question about it. In the Beis HaMikdash, they dash in the entire Pasha. There's no question that at the time of the Ole Regal, they dash in the entire Pasha. When the Mishnah Nafei Psachim describes it, it's describing what went on when the Beis HaMikdash stood, because the Mishnah still had the living traditions of what went on when the Beis HaMikdash stood. It could very well be that this Mishnah was composed 
at a time. You understand there's a whole machleket of chaykrim. What do we mean by the Mishnah? Was it finally written down with Rebbe? Or did Rebbe only edited many texts that existed before him? And you all know how much has been written on this topic. I mean, this is one of the most fascinating topics for scientific Jewish scholarship. So it could even be that the Mishnah was written down while the Beit HaMikdash stood at least this part. And they certainly dashened it. They dashened it with joy and happiness and simcha. But after Churbin Bayit, when the Jew is in the Gola, they could no longer bring themselves to dash and they would start crying, they would start mourning, they would turn Lel Haseda into Lel Tishabav with their longings, Ferret Sakodesh. And that's why once they were scorpion by it, they gradually knocked out the Dashanut in the last Pasik and a half and retained the Dashanut on everything except coming into the Holy Land. And that's another way, the Rav said, that perhaps explain it. Now, I don't have to tell you that uh, from my vantage point, Halavai, this would be true. All I could say is, I can see the Jews on the west side and in Lawrence and Woodmere and the Rogers, West Rogers Park and Teaneck and Toronto sitting Leil Haseda, dashing the Psukim, Besimcha, uh, and you know, these Jews, when, 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 when you poke them and say, hey, what are you talking about, Eretz Israel? You can go, you can live there, you don't have to cry, you don't have to mourn. We have an Eretz Zavat Chalavadavash. Just walk into Machna Yehuda. I'm always overwhelmed when I come back from America and after the vegetables I ate there, and I come into Machna Yehuda, it's overwhelming to me. Eretz Zavat Chalavadavash, it's real. And they look at you. Please, don't confuse me with the facts. That's not Eretz Yisrael. It's Yimot Mashiach. It's 10,000 years from now. Uh, you understand? Halavai, halavai. They would have pangs of conscience dashing this last Pasuk and a half today. But that's what the Rav said. The Rav said it so beautifully. that And that so it shows you that the Rav says openly, you were right. Bizman Beit HaMikdash, they dashin it besimcha. But here they're worried what a Jew might do. See, it, it could be, it could be great Jews, you understand, we're not on that level. Well, the, our friends are not on that level. But they were great Jews, that, that Eretz Yisrael, what it meant to them, Eretz Yisrael. They say about the Rav Yitzchak Cohen Cook, that when he was in Lityet, he was a Volosian and he was, uh, was the Rav of Ponovich, he was a, he was a, he was a, a Litvish Gadol. So they say about Rav Yitzchak Cohen Cook that when he mentioned Yerushalayim, when he mentioned that, say he would tremble. He would tremble. No Jews like that. Taka couldn't dash in the last pasuk and a half. But today I'm not so certain. Yes, Avi. No, because that was talking Bizman Beit Hamidrash. No, 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 no. It means that the Mishnah is discussing Bisman Beit Hamikdash. Bisman Beit Hamikdash, when the Jew is already in. Oh, I see what you're asking. When the Jew is already at the Beit Hamikdash, so he dashes already to the end because he's there, he's living it. But when we're in the Golan, we're looking back. We stress the essential, not the secondary. Yeah, it could be, could be on that level you combine it. I understand what you're saying. You understand? He's asking that Bisman Beit Hamikdash still Eretz Yisrael is not important. Leil Haseda, Leil Haseda is Yitzit Mitzrayim and Matan Torah. Sukkot is Eretz Yisrael. 
But what it would mean is that once already they're in the base of Migdash, they're already dashing it to the end. They're there. But the thrust, in other words, your main dashanut and the main theme of the night is the earlier part. Could very well be they wouldn't take a fifth coast. You understand? If you take the viewpoint that Leil HaSeidu, we don't stress Eretz Yisrael, it's not the, 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 the basic theme that night, so it means you don't take a fifth coast. Uh, it's interesting what you ask. But anyway, that's, uh, that's the way the Rub explained. Those were the two answers. And that was the Rub's encounter with Joseph Klausner. Klausner, you, you, you know what else? I'll, I'll tell you something else. Uh, if you want to know, these two fellas come into class, one with a jacket and tie, one a normal-looking Ramaz graduate with a kippah sruga. And you know where they're at today? Klausner remains in Israel. Klausner is the big Zionist. Klausner, uh, all his life, has tried to find the niche on the Mizrahi scene. You know what happened to the other fellow? Chaim Mand? The other person is one of the few students I've ever had that runs the other way when he sees me. You know why? Chaim Mand went, went on to become a crackerjack medical doctor, a specialist. I don't know, Ramaz graduate, perhaps YU graduate, Degel Hatera. Absolutely what you call black with a capital B. Hat, jacket, black hat today, the works. And he tried Aliyah, like most people in that category, they don't have the intellectual commitment to make the spiritual adjustment here, to make the physical sacrifice. Tried Aliyah. And I met him in Eretz Yisrael, and I saw this guy was shaking, you know, like he's looking at me, and he knows, after all, I was his Rebbe, and he knows what I put into him, and like, I'm proving I'm a living lie. You understand that a person, either I'm not a Ben Torah, or I have to be Degel HaTayra. And if I'm not Degel HaTayra, he has to reach the conclusion I'm not a, but he knows I'm not, he knows that I'm, Baruch Hashem, a good Jew. And I saw the guy had such problems dealing with Rakefet, with a flower out of his path. It was unbelievable. So here, two guys walked into class. The normal guy with the kippah ruga today wears a black hat and looks down and his kids were going to Chedi. I mean, it was unbelievable what I saw. Kids going to Chedi. You know what that means? Chedi. I don't mean a Mecca Zarav Chedi. I mean a Chedi from, from the Eidah Charedit. His kids won't even know that two and two are four. And he's an MD. Crackerjack doctor, specialist. And the other guy with the hat and jacket, all right, maybe he doesn't wear a hat and jacket today, but we still don't have a happy ending. Let's continue. Um, and there's something else, something else about the Seder, something else that's unique. We not only thank God for the past, but we thank God for all that he's done for us, past and present. You see, in Birchat HaMazon, which is such an integral part of Yitzipo Yitzit Mitzrayim, look at the Nusach. Wow. What are we lacking from there? That the concept of thanksgiving 
is not only for Yitzit Mitzrayim. It's everything that God did for us. And not only for us. How does the bracha end? Hazanat HaKol. But more than that, we don't just thank Him for the past. We thank Him for the future. What do we say before the Hallel? V'noma lafana, v'noma lashunatid, shirach adasha, hallelukah. And what does Leil Haseda mean? Leil Haseda, it's not just the past. It's not just the present. But the Jew is so overwhelmed with faith, with commitment, with belief, that he thanks God for the future as well. At the end of the Haggadah, when we break into Shira, the Hallel, Hallel Hagadol, Nishmat Kolchai, Tevarechet Shimcha, Hashem Elokecha, Hashem Elokeinu, Tevarech, Lashinatid, Varuach Kol Basah, Tefa'er, Uturomeim, Zichachom, Malkeinu Tamid, Min Olam, Viyad Olam, Atakel. And once again, the whole world is involved, not just the Jew. Ruach Kolbasa, the Jew is so overwhelmed, Leil HaSeidah, the Shir Hashirim, has so intoxicated him that it's not only the past, the present, it's the future as well. The Jew has no doubt that the next day in Jewish history, be it near or far, shall come. He knows that the faster he paves the way for the Mashiach, the more speedily he will come. The Jew, filled with anticipation, is anxious, but he is careful that an opportunity is not lost due to trivial matters. He feels a sense of urgency, but does not lose control of his senses. Thus, with a full appreciation of God's role in history and creation, the Jew's soul is engulfed in the resounding prayer of praise for the future as well. Nishmat kochai tevarechet shimcha Hashem elokeinu. And that is the ninth and final aspect in the Haggadah. Now, I want to comment on this. Two very important comments. This comment, this theme of the past and present, or the future and the present, is constant. You find it in Chazal. The Rav once gave an entire drasha based upon the Gemara Brachat. Why do we say uh, Emet V'yatsev in the morning and Emet V'yamunar at night? L'hagid babocha chastecha u'belaylotemunatecha. The whole drasha was based upon the fact, what does Emetzvi Yatsev mean? Yatsev is Lashon, it happened, it's for sure, it's solid, it's tangible. What is Emetzvi Amuna? Amuna is faith. And that the Jew thanks God not just for what happened, but for the future as well. He is so certain, so overwhelmed, his belief, his feeling is so profound that just as the past is Yatsiv, the Emet Muna is part of his Hakarata Tov. And that's what the Rav is saying here. The Rav is saying, It's Lashon Atid. The Jew is certain. And this is so true. 
even in the Holocaust, there's an entire literature that during the darkest moments, the Jews could still feel encouraged by belief in Mashiach Sitkenu, by belief in a glorious future. And this is part of the Jewish destiny, part of the Jewish gestalt, part of the configuration of being a Jew. And this also separates the men from the boys. If we spoke uh, a moment ago, if we spoke a moment ago, Avi, about the Jews who give it all up and walk away from Am Yisrael, they walk away from a future as well. Where you have a concern for a future, your whole attitude is different. Now, there's one other aspect I want to comment on, and this is very, very important and very crucial. Um, if you read Moshe Meiselman's article on the Rav, so uh, he takes issue with all those that say the Rav had concerns for universalism, for uh, humanity, and Moshe Meisman says the Rebbe was only concerned with the Jews. It's not so. You see, this is a classic example of the Rav. The Rav did have this universal approach. There's no doubt that first the Jew counts, but if you're a thinking Jew, a knowledgeable Jew, then beyond the Jew, there's a world out there. And we are responsible for that world. Avram Avinu is mourned on two levels. And the Rebbe always stressed this. He's mourned as the leader of the Jewish people, but he's also mourned as the individual who taught the world monotheism. And here you have a classic example. First the Rebbe talks about the Jews. But afterwards, he gets to the Hazanat HaKol. First the Rebbe talks about the Jews, and afterwards he gets to the Nishmat and that's a classic example. And I have to say that uh, Meisman's article, when I think about it again and again, there's so much in that article that's not the Rav. It's Meisman. What I said last week is very, very true. He totally misunderstands the Rav when he applies the Rav's hesped of Rav Velvel to the Rav. He's, it's not fair. Because the Rav is eulogizing Reb Velvel, his uncle, Reb Yitzhak Zayv HaLevi Salavechik, the Briska Rav, who succeeded Reb Chaim. But that's the Rav's hesped on Reb Velvel. It doesn't mean that those categories also apply to the Rav. Many of them do not. If you would ask me whether the Rav falls into the category of Reb Velvel or the Chazonish, what we spoke about last week, my answer is absolutely the Chazonish. And I told you I proved it to you irrefutably. If the Rav spoke about the Chazonish seeing Ben-Gurion and Ravelvul not, the proof is that the Rav met both with Ben-Gurion and with Menachem Begin, and I have pictures to prove it. can't be denied. Here too, that the Rav put universalism ahead of Judaism? Absolutely not. Totally not. Completely not. And if Greenberg or Hartman say such things, they're absolutely wrong. But to say that the Rav ignored the universal aspect, time and again, the Rav would go beyond the confines of the Torah people, the Jewish people, the Mamlechet Konim, the Goy Kadosh, and the Rav would go into the greater picture. And here you have a simple example. And uh, it's, it's, it's unfair to say that the Rav ignored. By the way, if you're familiar with Rav Cook's writings, you'll find the same thing there. Rav Cook writes and talks, of course, for the Jews. But his vision goes way beyond. Similarly with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. 
You talk about the Lubavitch Rebbe, I mean, anyone who's a great spiritual leader, a great Jew, a knowledgeable Jew, you cannot dismiss the world that's around us. All the Goyim, we have responsibility. And, and this is, a, when I was preparing this year, this hit me between the eyes. Here's a very simple example. You don't have to be a gone idea, hazan et the way the Rev interprets it, it's a universal concern. When you talk about nishmat kolchai, it's that it's not only the Jew and not only our experience, but ultimately the civilization we bring to the world, the monotheism we bring to the world, it reaches a level, nishmat kolchai, and here once again, you see the universal theme. So that's an additional comment. I have to say that I hope within a week or two, I'll have the new tradition and I'll be able to see the way Meifelman's article was printed. But from what I'm told, there was an original version which they refused to print. This is the revised version. But it leaves itself open for tremendous critique. And, uh, you know, you can be the Rebbe's nephew, you can be the Rebbe's grandson. Rebbe Shachter is quoted as saying about certain of the Rebbe's grandchildren that uh, how did they claim to know so much about the Rebbe? We were with him day in and day out in New York City, they were not. Of course, they would answer they were with him in Boston. But the point is that to give a total picture of the Rav, you have to know the man. You can't allow your own personal thinking or learning or prejudice or outlook to interfere. You have to be able to put yourself in the Rav's state of mind, outlook, experience, and explain the Rav from within. But if you come along already and you try to explain the rough from your vantage point, from your gestalt, then of course you're going to get a different rough. And uh, that's that's exactly with the Hespedim on Rebbe after he died, what went on. Did he hold the secular book? Didn't he hold the secular book? You know, each one was seeing the rough through his prisma. In order to see the rough properly, you have to have that ability to lift yourself above yourself and deal with the rough. You have to approach him totally neutral. Leave yourself out of it. And here's a perfect example. Can't deny this example. And there are many examples like it. If you look at the Rebbe's Hesp with Favram Avinu in Chayesar, I believe he spoke about it, you'll see it's exactly the same duality, the same thing. That we care about the Jew first goes without saying. But beyond the Jew, there's a whole civilization of humanity that we have to influence. And we have influenced and we continue to influence Be'ezrat Hashem. Okay. Now look what I've done. I started many months ago already. We began with the uh, Yantav, difference between Shabbat, Yantav, and Hanukkah Purim. Developed ideas. Then we went into Pesach. And we've now spent a lot of time on Pesach. Excuse me, we went into Sukkot first. Remember we did uh, uh, the whole, the beautiful uh, Dashanut of Ikashir Beper, Ikashir Bekli, a nigan, a song without words, uh, the whole expression of, of the of the Kalim and the Beit HaMikdash, the Shofan Rosh Hashanah, we dealt with uh, Sukkot. Then we went into Pesach. Spent a lot of time on Pesach and a lot of material. What I'm going to do now, I'm breaking my order because I'll tell you the story of what I'm about to do. This is a talk that I gave the first time 
in recent years at a public lecture. Public lecture given in a shul in Yerushalayim, the shul which I daven in, Ohel Rifka. It was given on Leil Shvuat. Jack was an Olech Hadash at the time, and he heard the talk, and he pleaded with me to give it again in the Kolo where he could take notes. So I gave it a few years ago in this cycle. But I'm going to give it again now so that you'll have a Davash Shalein Velo Chatzidavi. You understand what I'm saying? You now have Sukkot, Pesach, we're now going into Shvuat. From here, I'll probably sail into the High Holy Days, Yom Nerayim, and that material will already bring us into next year. Yom Nerayim is endless material. Uh, I don't have to tell you how much the Rav Dashim than Yom Nerayim. Now, what I'm about to do, and I call this Talmud and Rebbe, the relationship of, of, of the Talmud and Rebbe, what I'm about to do, the Rav never gave as one unit. This is one of the few times I got involved with Chachma and not just Malacha. You know what I'm talking about? The Gemara calls Tkiyat Shofa Chachma Veina Malacha. Rabbinically, we paraphrase that Gemara. What do I mean by Malacha? Malacha involves writing up a shift from the Rav. You listen to a tape. Write it up, check out all the sources, the sources that the Rav doesn't give, you find them, put them together, that's a malacha. Others are doing it as well. I can once again say it was the pioneer, this class, as it begins in the mid-70s, was the pioneer course of doing it. Today you have someone in America, I believe his name is David Schreiber, B. David Schreiber, my, who's written about nine contrasim, and what, what, what David Schreiber did is listen to tapes that he got from Nordlich, wrote them up, did a very nice job. Now there are problems, the family's got an injunction against him. That's a different story. But that is Malacha. What I did here in this talk I'm about to give is I put together from a number of different drashat sheorim that Rav gave and I put together a chai hanoseet atzmo on one topic, the relationship between a Talmud and his Rebbe. And let me begin. Hilcha, and this is in honor of Shvut, Zman Matan Taratainu. Hilcha Tfilah Perikud Bet Halachar Aleph in the Rambam. Moshe Rabbeinu Tikain Lechem Yisrael. Sheyacho Korin B'Torah B'Rabim B'Shabit B'Sheni B'Chamishi B'Shachret and of course, this is the Rambam codifying a basic law, a law that we just observed this morning, that Moshe Rabbeinu made a takana for the Jews. It's probably the earliest takana on record that they cannot go three days without hearing Torah, and that's why we read the Torah Shabbat, Monday, and Thursday. And all of you know this. Unfortunately, some of you know it from a negative stance, because I know people that Tuesday, Wednesday, you never find them in shul in the morning. But Monday and Thursdays, they make every effort to go to Minyan to hear Kriyat HaTorah. But everyone knows there's a difference between Monday and Thursday, 
and Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What's the source of the Rambam? The source of the Rambam, no, Baba Kama, famous Gemara, Pei Bet Amid Bet. The Tanya, I think Gemara tells the story, Vayechu Shloshet Yolim Velomat Sumayim Last Week Sedr Shmot Petvav Pasuk Hav Bet Dar Sheir Shumat Amru Ein Mayim El Torah Shenema Yeshayahu Nun Hei Pasuk Vav Hai Kol Tzamei Lechul Amayim Kiven Shacholchu Shloshayim In Belo Torah Meyad Nilu Amdu Nevim Shebeneim Betetnu Lechem Sheyahu Korim B'Shabbat B'Sheni B'Chamishi K'Dei Shelo Yagi below Torah. Now what's the Gemara telling us? The Gemara is dealing with a tremendous problem. It's a frightening problem. A Jew can be at Matan HaSinai. Every miracle in the world. Right after Kriyat Yamsaf. Charechazal put it to Mechilta, Masherata Shifchal Hayam, Lo Ra'ay Echezgul Bembuzi Bechez Yonat And a few days later, that same Jew is a Pushtak, a bum, an Oisvaf, Vayachu, he's complaining. He lacks this, he lacks that. All the miracles are forgotten. And there's a tremendous question here. And it happens time and again. A kid in the kollel, a young man in the kollel, can, can hear unbelievable Torah, unbelievable drashat, be totally transformed. One week later, he's back to his old lifestyle. It's a tremendous problem. Tremendous problem in You take BMT over the years. You, some kids got so inspired. Or you take girls that come for a year. Within a few months, it's all forgotten. It's all forgotten. Halavai would have a penny for every girl I taught who resolved when she was going back not to wear pants. And within a few months, they come back, people laugh at them, watch your rabbits and... Ah. It all goes out the, the window. And it's a problem. There are tremendous problem in So the Gemara deals with the problem. How can it be Vayechu shloshet yamim, just three days from Matan Torah. Three days from from, from Kriya Jansef, whatever. And look, they're complaining. And the Gemara says, and this is a literature approach, that a religious experience is meaningless if it's not followed by something tangible. And if they're not going to hear Kriya HaTorah, they're going to forget it all. Nilu, the Gemara uses the word Nilu. It's very hard to translate the word Nilu. If I were to translate it, I would say weary, but it's, it's not a physical weariness. It's a spiritual weariness. It's an emptiness. An emptiness. It's like you feel you're going on vacation. Oh, Jews have funny ideas of vacations. They go to Atlantic City. They're gambling. They're not catching a minion. There isn't there. I don't think a minion in Atlantic City. I think all the Jews moved out. I think the nearest minion is Margate. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think I'm right. Uh, all the shoes are gone already. He's gambling a day, two days, three days go by. At the end of three days, he feels ladedick, pushed, empty, weary. What has he accomplished? Slot machines, casinos, gambling. No Torah, no learning, no minion. Pushed. 
That's the word. It's a Yiddish word. Empty, weary, spiritually weary. It's, it's beautiful. It's exactly what the Gemara is saying. I know I had that feeling in the rabbinate. It's something I always caution young rabbis. The rub, I couldn't believe my ears. I heard the rub saying word by word. When I've said through the years, I've said type out of the 50s. And it's so true. In the rabbinate, you get so involved with helping people, doing things. You have no time to learn, no time to grow spiritually. You come into the rabbinate at the age of 24. In my days, I was 23. Come into the rabbinate today, 25. And you stop growing. That's it. You're so busy visiting the sick, the sisterhood, the men, this, that, communal problems. I see rabbis. My heart goes out and they don't have a minute to breathe. You take Rabbi Billet, you know Rabbi Billet. These people don't have a minute to breathe. Not a minute to breathe. It's frightening. Not a minute for spiritual growth. So that's what the word. I had that in the rabbinate. I went into the rabbinate the first few weeks, months, totally empty. And then I grabbed myself and I said, you must block out time, you must learn. The Gemara in Baba Kama, Baruch Hashem. I grabbed myself and saved myself. And the Rebbe said the same thing about himself. He said, thanks to the yeshiva, why you? I became a mensch again. The Rebbe said, I lost myself in the rabbinate. And he says, you do good things. But before you know it, your whole life is involved with doing small matters for small people, which is important, but you yourself stagnate. But there's one tremendous problem here. If the Rambam is based upon the Gemara, did you catch the problem? How does the Rambam codify the Gemara? Shalom Yeshu, Shlosha Yamim. Below Shmi'at HaTorah. When, when you read the Gemara, Kedesha Lo Yalinu, give me Yamim, below Torah. What is the Rambam doing here? He's adding on one word. This is the source. This Gemara is the source for the Rambam. Everything else is exactly the same. And he adds on one word, Shmi'at HaTorah. What's the Rambam doing here? Why is he not put on that word? The Gemara didn't mention that word. Why is the Rambam adding it? What is he teaching us? What is the message involved? And this was the Reb's question. And the Reb said something amazing. You know what the Rambam is teaching us? When it comes to Kriyat HaTorah, Torah Shebechtav, you can have a kiyum, a fulfillment, even if you don't understand. Don't understand the words. You just listen. All you have to do is listen. You don't have to do any more than listen. There's no conception. There's just perception. You're perceiving something. That's sufficient. That's enough. How do, it's a tremendous chiddush. Tremendous chiddush. But take a look at shuls. Not so much in America anymore. Not so much in New York City. Go out of, go out of New York City. An orthodox shul. A minion on a Monday morning. They have a minion duty. What do they call it? Jury duty. J-E-W-R-Y. Not jury, but jury duty. All right? They have a minion. People take turns coming. The shul has to have a minion. There are always people saying Kaddish. Half the people don't know Hebrew. Half the people barely can read Hebrew. Half the people are doubling from an art scroll sitter, doubling in English. 
So they hear the Torah reading this morning. They don't understand one word. Are they Yodzei? Absolutely. How do we know this? How do we know this? This is tremendous Kiddush, tremendous concept. No? Hakel. Devarim, Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Yudbet, Hakel et Aman Hashim Vanashim Vatav, Vigerich Hashem Isherecha, Laman Yishmu, Ulaman Yumadu, Vyeru et Hashem Alotechem, Vishamru Lasog, et Kol Devrein Hatorah Hazot. It's an open Pasuk. Gemarin Chagiga, Davkim Lamed Aleph. Mara asked a tremendous question. Look at the words of the Gemara. Men come to learn. They know Hebrew. They know how to learn. Women come to listen. Exactly the Lashon of the Rambam. At that time, remember, we spoke about this. Women got married at 11, 12. There was no time to learn, no time to study. So the women came simply to listen without any comprehension. Why did you bring the children? Look at the concept here. To give schar to those that brought them. What does it mean? It means that the child will have an experience. That he'll remember there was a big crowd. There was hakal. He didn't understand much. But the experience remains with him. From that Gemara you see clearly that there can be a kim of Kriyat HaTorah. The women no comprehension, just perception. Children, no comprehension, but a certain amount of perception. A kid remembers this. I can still remember in, in my youth certain scenes, crowds, like I can still remember La Havdil, Radio City Musical. Everyone used to go Hanukkah time. It's a big thing. Radio City was before television, kids, intercession, a break. You had off Hanukkah. I remember the crowds would stretch around the block. I don't know if that, does that go on today too? Radio City, I can still remember. It leaves an impression. Allah had come of a comma, a kid, hundreds of thousands of Jews coming to Hakel. Not only that, look at the way the Rambam codifies it. Rambam, Hilchat Chagiga, Perik Gimel, Halacha Vav, Vigerim, Shainim Akirim, Hayam Lachan Liban, Lakshiv Aznam, Lishmoa, Biyema, Vigira, Vigila, Barada, Kiyom, Shenit Naba, Besinai. It's an amazing concept. Gerim, don't know Hebrew. Today it's not Gerim. Many American Jews, many Russian Jews, many English Jews, many French Jews don't know Hebrew. Many Libani Shalalim, I don't have to tell you our problem with Hebrew today, with everything being translated. No, look what the Rambam says. They have they don't understand one word. There's no comprehension. He says, Aina Makirin. And nevertheless, Lahachim Liban, Lahakshiv, Lishmoa, Biyama, Vigira, Vigila, Barada, Kiyom Shinindutnu Babisinai. Oh boy. Fascinating. So there's an unbelievable concept here. And that's what the Rambam is telling us. That when it comes to Torah you can have a kiyam with listening alone. You don't need comprehension. Hakel is the prime example. Only by Torah Shebechtav. Torah Shebechtav, no such concept. Could you imagine sitting in this room where Brown Lichtenstein is saying a shir and you don't understand one word of the shir? An hour and a half. You don't understand one word. 
No, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a kiyam of lima Torah? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not Kriyat Torah. Alitzni is not a Torah scroll. Understand? The Rav is not a Torah scroll. I remember the Rav, when he gave the Yodzite Russia, how many Balabatim came. So once again, I go back to my Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Weiss, next to the Rav. You know, there were a band that left a great impact on Rebbe Yosef Weiss, second only to the Rav, basically. So remember, I, went, I asked Rebbe, I asked Rebbe Yosef Weiss. Who you call him, we used to call him Redbeard behind his back. So today it would be Whitebeard, but in those days he had, a, he had a beautiful red Van Dyke. I can just see, you know, he was a, what a wonderful Rebbe. So I said, Rebbe, how can it be to Balabatim? You know, I was a kid. I said, did they understand anything? So I remember he said to me, there are two levels of understanding. The Talmud Chacham understands the Torah, but the Balabatim, they, they give cover at Torah. It's a brilliant answer. It's exactly the answer here too. If you sat a year and a, an hour and a half from Baal Lichtin's chin, didn't understand them, you had no keem of Talmud Torah whatsoever. But you had a keem of giving cover to Torah. You sat in front of a Gadol Hadar, you didn't walk out, you sat with Derech Heretz, you understand, with the Thilu, Berechimu, Be'emah, Be'yirah, Be'pachad, but Talmud Torah, it isn't. That's exactly what the Rebbe is saying here. And the Rebbe says, uh, and this is why, you see, when it comes to Talmud Torah, there's a tremendous difference. Torah Shabbat prayer doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. You don't have a Kenyan in it. If you can be Yodzei with perception alone and not comprehension, it's not yours. It's distant from you. It doesn't belong to you. The Rambam stresses this. Hilchat Chagiga, Perikimel, Halachavav, Shahamelech Shtiachu, Lahashmiya, Divrei Hakel. Listen to these words. Hamelech Shliach. Who reads the Torah at Hakel? Did you ever see Hakel in Eretz Yisrael? Yeah, I, I don't have to tell you. Uh, it used to be beautiful until the religious politics destroyed it. But I still remember when Shazah read the Torah at Hakel. I remember when, when Pre- President Herzog read the Torah. Why does the president read it? Because the king used to read it. We don't have a king today. The only king we had is being buried today. King Hussein is being buried today. Outside of King Hussein, we never related to any king in modern times. But look at the words of the Rambam. Hamelech Shliach. He's the messenger boy to read God's word. What do we mean that he's the messenger boy? Because it's Torah Shebechtav. Torah Shebechtav does not belong to the Jew. It belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why we're only messengers. And that's why we don't have a Kenyan because you can be Yodzei with perception alone without comprehension. That's the Rambam. Shmiat HaTorah. However, Torah Shabbat Per, that belongs to us. That we gain. We make a Kenyan net. Our learning, our knowledge, our sacrifice, our minds, our devotion, we make a Kenyan. It's ours. How do I know this? An open Gemara, the Rav said. Nedorim lametchet amir aleph. Ah, tell me. Moshe Rabbeinu was poor or Moshe Rabbeinu was rich? Moshe Rabbeinu was a millionaire. Lo heshim Moshe elemipsultan shaluchot. He had the leftover beautiful parts of the stones, the luchat, 
that he chiseled away Shenema Psolacha Shneluchatabanim Kirishonim Psoltan Shelchayahei. Oh, it belonged to Moshe. He put all the effort in. He had a right to keep it. That the Torah was only given for Moshe and his family. Tovayin hu yivarach, a pasuk from Mishlech of bad pasuk tad. Man, it's an amazing Gemara. Oh, we can talk on this Gemara. So many dreshat have been given. But watch what the Gemara is leading to. Moshe was generous. It all belonged to him. God gave it to him. He put in the effort. He, he was on the mountain. He reached the state, the highest state that any Jew ever reached. It all belonged to Moshe. And he was generous. He shared it with the Jews. So the Gemara says, hey, wait a minute. What do you mean he shared it with the Jews? Motiv Rav Chizda, and he cites a Pasuk from Devarim, Perik Dalid, Pasuk Yudalid, Hashem What do you mean he was generous? He was obligated. God commanded him. What are we praising him for? He had to. Daroni had to go out and teach the Jews. And the Gemara gives the amazing answer. You know what we're talking about? What belonged to Moshe? What are we as generous? Pilpula Bialma. The Pilpul. You know what Pilpul means? Torah Shabal Peh. Rashi explains, Lavindava mitochtava. Hu denitan la Moshe. Venihagba tovetayin vinatna li Yisrael. And gentlemen, this is exactly our proof. Moshe Rabbeinu was obligated to teach the Torah Shabbat. That didn't belong to Moshe Rabbeinu. That wasn't his sole property. That belonged to Klal Yisrael. That is Hakel. That is Shmiyat Torah. That is perception. But the learning, the effort, the Torah Shabbat, the comprehension... The unbelievable halachala Moshe Misinai, the process that begins with Moshe Rabbeinu, that belongs to him. Most of that is his effort and his Kiddush and his understanding and his Takonet and his Gezerat. All of Torah this is a Rebbe, this belongs to him. He makes a Kenyan in it. And that's where he was generous. He didn't have to share it and he did share it. And finally, Tosfid says exactly the same idea. Shvuat Lamed Amid Bet, Divrei Hamatchel, Asei, the Katuv, Bitorah Adif. And Tosfid there gets involved with a very simple problem. Why is it that we Paskin? That a Chacham can be Mochel al and a Melech can't be Mochel al A very simple problem. And that's Halachal Amaisa. A Melech walks into the room, everyone has to stand, everyone has to show awe. Derech Heretz. A Rebbe walks into the room, 
The Rebbe can say, don't stand, remain in your seats. He can be Merkel on his covered. Why? What's happening here? And Tosfit says so beautifully, Umasha Yacholim Chol Mishum the Torah Dilehu. A Melech's covered has nothing to do with the Melech. The Melech is the representative of Klal Yisrael. The Melech Malchot. He represents Klal Yisrael. Authority. Nothing to do with the Melech. A Melech cannot be Mokhal on his covered. A Rebbe's covered? Why do we give a Rebbe covered? A Rebbe's knowledge. A Rebbe's year at Shemayim. A Rebbe's life of purity and dedication. The Rebbe owns this. He created it. No one gave it to him. No one ever gave a Rebbe. We spoke about that yesterday. Remember we spoke in terms of the chief rabbinate? So Mary, the introduction to Rabbi like yesterday, some of you, since it's an overwhelming introduction, what I said yesterday on the, on the whole problem of a chief rabbinate, it reflects in my book. The Rav talks about it as well. But you can't elect someone. This is, this is not something you give a person. He achieved it. He did it. He gained it. Look at the words of Tosfas. Belehu. It belongs to him. It's the pupil, the orita of the Gemara Nadarim. And this is why a Rebbe can be mochal on his covet. If it's something that he owns, something that he gained, he can give it away. He can be mochal. It's his. No one gave it to him. He achieved it. He did it on his own. His own ten fingers, his whole life. His, his, the whole saga of learning and dedication. The Rebbe wants to be mochal, he can be mochal. A king can't be Michael. This is the difference. This is Torah Shabal Peh vis-a-vis Torah Beautiful. All right. Let me reiterate. What do we do today? We finished out the second shear that I've recently given on the Haggadah. I don't remember which year I did the Reblaze of Silver shear, which also, did I do it this year? The Reblaze of Silver, did I do it last year? That also was on the Haggadah. But I believe I did that a year ago. We finished out the second Shia and the Haggadah. Obviously, the high point of today was the last Pasuk and a half that we don't dash in. Why don't we dash in it? And uh, the Rav's two different dances and the Sagar and the encounter of Rebbe and of Yosef Chaim Klausner. It's a fascinating story. I would say, unfortunately, I say this, I say unfortunately, but Klausner probably reached the high point of his life until now when the Rav said to him in front of the whole Shia, your Bekit is greater than mine, but I still don't agree with you. But see, those words until today light up Klausner's life. Uh, what I began this year with, Behold of Adar, that's an outstanding thought from the Rav, the Kos, destiny, language of Tanakh. Very hard to translate it into English. How do you say? Safa Tanachit. But that's exactly what it means. It's the language of the Tanakh. The Rav used the word Safa Tanachit as well. It's the language of the Tanakh. Destiny. And a Jew can't escape that destiny. If you don't lift up that coast, it's a sign you're not part of that destiny. You want to escape the destiny. You're a Kissinger. You're like that young man that I told you about, Barilan graduate, and where he's at today. And it's possible you can escape this freedom of choice. Yona tried to escape, 
And we saw what happened to him. Halavite should happen to these other Jews. Uh, at the end, we got involved with the future. Tavareich, Nishmat Chalchai, the universal uh, concept. And again, I related to uh, Moshe Meiselman's article, which the more I think about it, the more I get upset that uh, he, it's mamish transferring your own gestalt to the Rav. You have a right to your own thinking. But when you deal with your uncle, when you deal with the Rabban Shul Yisrael, keep yourself out of it. Be as honest as you can. But see, it's impossible. It's what I spoke about years ago, that each one has such a highly developed prisma, he sees the Rav, and that's the Rav. And each one gives you a Rav, that it's the Rav as they saw him, and they mean no harm. But that's talk of the way. They understood the Rav with their limited prisma and conviction. But that's a good vat, and it shows you very clearly that there is a universal concern, although it goes without saying that the prime concern is for the Jew. We're Jews first. Afterwards, we have to deal with the universal aspects. Then we shifted gears and we broke into Shavuos, and as I explained to you, uh, the shir that I'm beginning now, and it's, uh, it's uh, filled with a lot of fabulous material, it's a shir the Rav never gave. But this is Chachma. Over a generation ago, I took from many different places and put together the relationship between a Rebbe and a Talmud. I have to tell you, I did this in honor of a Machal class. I had a Machal class in the late 70s in Michala that was an unbelievable class. And I gave the Shia the first time in Machal, in their honor, right at the end of the year, right before Shavuot. And then I gave it again in public uh, in, in Ol Rifka. Then I gave it once more within the context of this course. And now I'm giving it again so that you have the total cycle. Now we began with the, with the Rambam on Belishmir HaTorah. And it's, a, it's an, ama- an amazing Rambam. It stares you in the eye. Um, why, what is the Rambam doing? Wh- where, is, where is the Gemara? Why did he add that word? And that's the difference. Hakel is a key in perception not just comprehension. Unlike Torah Shabbat where there must be comprehension. Once there's comprehension, the Rebbe gains the Torah Shabbat He's Koneh it. It's his Kenyan. It belongs to him. How do we know it belongs to him? Pilpula the Oraita, the Gemara Nidorim. And, and this is exactly what the Gemara is saying and why Moshe Rabbeinu was praised. He didn't have to share the knowledge. It was his knowledge. He gained it. It belongs to him. If I have a few thousand dollars, I don't have to share my money with you. It's mine. Shali, shali. All right. But Moshe was Nadiv Lev. And he shared it. And this is exactly Tosfat. The words in Tosfat are merit because Tosfat spells it out. And Be'ezrat Hashem, this is exactly where we'll pick up. Le'kavid u'leteferet next week. Okay, let me shift gears. And uh, come sit around because I have a lot I want to show you. And in order to show it, you have to be uh, close to me. Okay, one second. I'm missing. Oh, God, this is missing a... Uh,